you have to innovate. You have to, you have to move forward. The industry is, is moving forward, you know, and honestly it's customer driven, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we're forcing barbershops to only accept credit cards. It's that customers don't want to pay in cash anymore. And so the trend is going to continue. And I think more and more barbershop owners and barbers are catching on and understanding that actually this is where I'm going to end up anyway. Why not to start change my operations in a way where it's not as just as disruptive and we could ease into, into that change. Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. Here's your host, Brian Bush. Hi there. Today on the show, we have Aram Meridian, the head of product for Squire, the all-in-one business management and payments platform for barbers and barbershops. Aram, thanks for coming on the show. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me, Brian. Looking forward to it. To get started, please tell us a bit about yourself, your career journey, and what Squire is all about. So I started my professional career as an attorney and worked as a lawyer for about six years. Like many lawyers, many of my peers, I had enough at some point and started to look elsewhere. At that time, Dave and Song were just starting Squire. I think they were about six to nine months in. And considering the fact that I have a computer science degree, my bachelor's is in computer science, a lot of people told me to um, to work with in tech, not necessarily as a product manager or, or a product person, but just in general, because that was the trend around that time. And um, I called them up, I joined and um, have been in tech since. When I first joined Squire, everyone did everything, but slowly but surely, because of my computer science background and some of the tools that I acquired um, as, a, as an attorney, I started to gravitate towards product. And probably around a year and a half in, I just began to do product only, and um, here I am. That's fascinating. So I want to dive in a little bit more to the early days of Squire because that story has gotten a lot of traction and, and is arguably now legend in the startup space. So Song and Dave had left their corporate jobs and as I understand, it had built the first version of Squire, the first version of the app, but weren't really getting traction. So what happened next? The team actually operated a real barbershop in New York City as a test kitchen for the app. Tell me a little bit more about that experience in those early days. Yeah, well, yeah that, was, that was quite a time. Yeah, I still have nightmares about running a barbershop. I think Dave and Song do as well. But th- the short of it is the first version of, of the platform was really customer-centric. By customer, I mean the person getting a haircut. The the idea was customers will book appointments, show up at barbershops. Barbershops will be very happy to see them, and the rest is history. Very quickly, we learned that barbershops actually make people wait, even if they book appointments, if the barbershops are not aware of those appointments. And um, building out an appointment system was the, you know, the, f- the very first pivot that we made as a company. And our very first client was a barbershop in Chelsea Market, New York, uh, a pretty cool, nice barbershop in a pretty cool area in New York City. We were lucky to get them. 
and uh, they started using our beta version of the platform. They were the first, the first customer. And, you know, we figured out early on that the owner of the barbershop was not going to be in the business for very long. And for us, obviously, that was a tremendous risk because if he decided to close the barbershop, our first client would churn, not because of the software, but because they were no longer in business. And so we negotiated and convinced them to give us the reins. And we took over that barbershop. We ran it collectively for, I think, about four to five months. And it was an invaluable experience. I think it, it absolutely catapulted us to where we are today. And I think the biggest lesson is that in hindsight, it all makes sense. You know, you have this test kitchen, you, you sh- everybody should do it. But when it was happening, it was really a testament to how quickly we were able to make decisions as a company, even critical decisions that were quite risky because to take over the barbershop, we had to put up some cash. This was long ago, way before we had funding to be able to um, afford it. And so this was a very risky proposition, but you know, we, we came together, we made the decision. We now know it was the right decision. But again, I think it's a testament to being able to understand the environment and making the decision and sticking to it. Again, I think it, it's the reason why we are where we are today. It's an incredible story, Aram. Maybe let's dig into your personal journey just a little bit more. You mentioned computer science, then into law. would love to hear a little bit about what type of law you're practicing, but more, you're now building tech for barbers. As you transitioned into that product role, what specifically stands out or what specifically did you do to really learn what your customers need? Very actually interesting. I think lawyers would make good product managers and lawyers Mm. with technical backgrounds would make excellent product managers. And here's why. I think one thing that you learn in law school is how to consume a lot of information and distill from it on one end things that really matter taking away the emotion, taking away the fluff, if you will. But on the other end, being you know a customer advocate, knowing how to put yourself in a position of anyone and advocate on their behalf. And I think if we sort of look at the side of product management that deals with customer insight, having those two skills are imperative. Being able to take a customer call, listen to them, like many other customer calls, There are complaints, you know, there is emotion, but being able to really understand what is the problem, what are you trying to solve and what are you trying to do that you can't currently do, that is a skill. And I think law school prepares you well for that because, again, you are able to take 30 minutes, 30-minute transcript and and highlight three or four sentences that really get to the the problem. And then just being a, a custom advocate because now... You have to go back to your organization. You have to convince maybe your, you know, your superiors, maybe the cross-functional team that this is what we should be doing and this is how we should be doing it. And a lot of times it is being an advocate on behalf of the customer because it doesn't, you know, why are they doing it this way? That doesn't make sense. They should be using this. And you should be able to say, maybe true, but we're not operating a barbershop and this is why it makes sense, and actually giving a logical explanation. I think that's another skill that you learn in law school. 
And of course, the technical background helps a lot because you are able to speak the engineering language, understand how software is built, understand that something that in your mind is super simple is not necessarily something that will take two days to build. Although there is a there is a going joke at Squire among the engineering team that Aram likes to say, this should be pretty simple, right? And they all chuckle and laugh every time I say it, um, being facetious a little bit. But in general, I think it does help to be a partner to the engineering team. And not just a partner that sort of listens and understands, but a partner who knows and really can understand the way software works, not just the way it's built and the layers and the complexities of it. Absolutely. Well, so what I'm hearing you say in terms of takeaways in your transition to wearing the product hat, one is synthesizing the the very diverse inputs you get in that role Two, always being that customer advocate, especially when you're driving something new or innovative for, for the customer. And three, it doesn't hurt to, to sort of have a foot in both worlds, both on sort of the business and the technical side of the house. And Aram, I think that's a great transition, you know, given seven years wearing the product hat with Squire, in tech, we use the language of product mar- market fit a lot. And that is core as you're trying to build something new, build something innovative. Nailing product market fit is always a challenge for early stage companies. So let's talk about when you think or knew you found product market fit with Squire. Was there a particular customer comment, learning story, maybe an experience that for you was really either the turning point or shined a bright light on, yes, we've got something here? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was around the time we were operating the barbershop. And I'll, I'll expand a bit on this, but ultimately, you know, we were building a marketplace. We were building a tool that would allow customers to book appointments with barbers or barbershops, and the barbershops and barbers would be able to manage their business, accept payment, etc. So the question in any marketplace is what side do you build first? Do you build both simultaneously? And I think when we started to operate the barbershop, we realized that in our case, it's actually much easier because it's very clear what we need to build first. And that is we need to build a tool for the barbershop that the barbershop finds useful. And then you get all of the barbershop's clients. Another thing that we had working in our favor is that customers tend to be very loyal to their barbers. And so the retention rates at barbershops are very high. And even further, the main goal of, or, or sort of the main product that is being sold at a barbershop is not the booking platform, but the haircut. And so people will use whatever their barbers or barbershops tell them to use to book appointments with them because you never want to piss off your barber. It doesn't make any sense for you to do that, right? Because you're trusting this person with your hair. And so if your barber tells you, hey, I'm using this new system called Squire, Now you can't call me to make an appointment anymore. You have to log on and make your appointment this way. The person could object all they want, but then they will still go and make that appointment. And when we made that sort of conclusion, that is when I think the product market fit basically just happened. And since then, we have never neglected the customer side of things. If you look at our booking apps, Probably the best looking from UI UX perspective apps that are out there for the customer, but the core is the tool for the SMBs, the tool for the for the barbershop and the barber to run their business, to be more efficient, to be able to analyze reporting and trends, etc. 
So we describe Squire as both a business management and a payments platform. So maybe let's dive in just a little bit deeper around this notion of product market fit. Do you think there's a difference for what we'll kind of call the operational products versus the indirect or the the finance-focused products like payments? In some ways, yes. I think that payments or the ease of, of accepting payments is not something that existed for decades. And so in a lot of ways, some of the older you know, SaaS platforms in our space and also I'm sure in other spaces had their product long before it became easy to accept payments. And so I think for those businesses, for those companies, it, the operational side absolutely came before the fintech side, the payment side. For us, it was actually never a question because when we built the first version of the software, Dave and Son came up with the idea of making their lives easier. They said, I hate coming to the barbershop. I hate sitting and waiting for three hours. I hate the fact that I have to bring cash. None of this makes sense when I could just grab an Uber and never have to worry about paying my cab driver, right? And so the payments aspect of things was always built in into the platform from the very beginning. It was a card not present payment because it was made when the customer was booking an appointment, but it was always part of Squire from the very beginning. I think in some ways that was our differentiator for very long, for a very long time, because most of the booking platforms did not actually have a a payments arm to them. And so they maybe used Square or some other embedded solution, but it was not I wouldn't even call it embedded. It wasn't embedded most of the time. Um, all the sort of communication of the systems happened behind the scenes and, and the, the look and feel of all-in-one platform wasn't there. So when we started building the, the business management tool, the payments aspect of it was worked into it right away. And you know, fortunately for us, we used Stripe to, make, to, to accept payments. Stripe entered the card present world as well. And so we were automatically able to start to compete against the squares of the world, which had, you know, and still have a pretty significant presence in in the barbershop salon space because we were now also able to offer a card present solution. And so now the all in one concept really became that much more real because you literally had your appointment book and you could click on an appointment and see what credit card was used for that appointment. Something that interestingly, even Square did not have because Square had two separate apps, one for appointments and one for the register. And so even when we competed against Square, that gave us a, a, a significant advantage as well because you didn't, you know, a customer would not have to go and look into different places to reconcile the numbers. So what I'm hearing you say is, that old advice of, hey, first comes the operational features, second act comes the the fintech features, we can kind of throw that out the window now. Absolutely. Because to elaborate further on that point, payments is pretty much, in our industry at least, is now table stakes. And so if you are going to start a company that's going to handle appointments, you probably need to be thinking about payments from day one. And I'm sure this is true for many other small businesses and, and, and even bigger businesses as well. I, I should say true for companies that serve small businesses or larger businesses. I think it's very true for them as well. Well, let's turn it back just a little bit around to the customer advocacy lens. Payments for you, you talk about it being a, an interesting innovation. The flip side, though, is I know you said one time we chatted previously, 
that barbers used to walk out at the end of the day with cash in their pocket. Now, when you've digitized some of those payments, that mode of operation has changed for them a little bit. What did you do to get over the hump of that change as you were helping drive adoption for the app? Or what did you do to counter sort of a little bit of a disruptive change to their day-to-day work? I think the number one thing you have to do is you have to really embrace the profession and understanding the profession and making the argument for why, yes, this is not the way you used to do things, but it is the way of the future and you're better off by it. So I think a lot of what we built into our platform and the vision that we have for ourselves is really to make barbering a true profession that operates just like any other profession, just like product management and and marketing. At first, these were hard conversations. I think next, how can we use technology to actually simulate what used to happen, but just with technology? Hmm. And one thing that we found very archaic in the industry was that most barbers, even though they work at a barbershop, that isn't a barbershop that they own, they get paid on a commission basis. And so let's say that commission is 50%. They also keep their tips. What that means is that by the time the haircut is over, a barber knows exactly how much money he or she made. Mm -hmm. But the barber has to wait until the end of the week or end of not not month no one in the barbershop industry gets paid monthly but the point being that why am i not getting my tips right away i used to now i have to wait until the end of the week to do so and so i think the ability to for example get barbers their tips on a nightly basis is something that you could use technology for innovate for and that makes the transition that much easier so you know, you used to walk out of the barbershop with $100 in your pocket from your tips for the day. You're still walking out of the barbershop with $100 in tips every day. It's just not in your pocket as bills. It's in your pocket because it's on your, maybe even the Squire card or your debit card with, with the Bank of America. So I think you have to innovate. You have to, you have to move forward. The industry is, is moving forward, you know, and honestly, it's customer driven, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we're forcing barbershops to only accept credit cards. It's that customers don't want to pay in cash anymore. And so the trend is going to continue. And I think more and more barbershop owners and barbers are catching on and understanding that actually this is where I'm going to end up anyway. Why not to start change my operations in a way where it's not as dis- as disruptive and we could ease into, into that change? Of course. Well, so let's dig in a little bit more to some of those fintech options. You mentioned Stripe. You've mentioned cards. I don't know if you built that yourself or if you care to share who you're working with. But more importantly, what have you learned about building on API platforms for some of these embedded fintech features? And you know, what makes a good embedded partner versus a mediocre one? Very good question. We are working with Bond for our card issuing product great organization, great people. I highly recommend them. So we worked with with Stripe so far. We worked with Bond. We know each other very well. And, 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 you know, I hope that we will work uh, together in the near future. And um, look, I think it comes down to a few things. You have to be a good customer first and foremost. 
you have to make sure your partner, the API embedded solution provider, really understands your use case and your pain points. So all of the things that you don't appreciate about the customers that you you are serving when they are complaining and they're not actually telling you what the problem is, they're telling you how the solution should be, understand that now you are also a client and you're also a customer to someone. And make sure that you very clearly communicate to your partner exactly what you're trying to do, exactly what your pain points are, what your roadmap is, why are you doing this? How does that make sense for your business? Because especially for platforms that are building their product and maybe are a little bit earlier in their evolution, that could actually have an effect on their roadmap. It could actually have a positive effect for you on the product that actually continues to get built. And more importantly, I think it really gets partner thinking about how can I leverage my platform to support this use case? even if it doesn't involve any actual building, but what can we do? What levers can we pull? What approvals can I get to get our platform to provide for the use cases that you're trying to support? And I think just getting down to a a more sort of objective item, great documentation. You know, you look at Stripe, Stripe is extremely easy to integrate with. I mean, you could do so in a day and start processing payments. I think something like that is very, very important. But what's more important is that there is a well-defined process for making changes to the API. Because the one thing that absolutely scares companies when building on top of other people's APIs is that if you're embedding a solution, then you could tell your customer all you want that it really isn't you that did something that caused a bug, they are still looking to you as the culprit because likely they're paying you and they don't have an independent relationship with the third-party API provider. And so you are taking on all of that reputational risk and you could only control the things that you could control. The worst thing that could happen is you wake up and something that was working yesterday doesn't work today. You didn't deploy any code. You don't know what's going on. You get to the bottom of it and and someone tells you, oh, actually we made this change like a week ago and sorry, but now this is the way it works. So no matter how fast you need to move, no matter what OKRs or deadlines you need to meet, I think that making sure that the process of making changes and telling your customers about those changes needs to be ironclad. I think that is the the scariest thing for a product manager, but also for the head of ops, head of customer success. They have to be on the front lines talking to customers and, and explaining to them that it actually isn't us. It's someone else. Ultimately, it doesn't matter, but you could feel the frustration, right? And so I think yeah. great documentation and the process for making changes, those are very important. Yeah. And a reliable partner. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is treat these part, be a little bit open book because it's a strategic partnership. Of course, look for the great documentation and that third, that change process and good communication there is really indicative of, do you have a partner who really has their stuff together? Are they reliable? Because ultimately you're holding the bag if something goes wrong with your end customers. 
Absolutely. Let's turn our focus back um, to sort of the brass tacks of the business. And I think after this conversation, it's clear why so much of the press that has talked about Squire talks about how you're revolutionizing this industry. At the same time, I saw a Forbes piece that mentioned there are something like 100,000 barbershops across the U.S. And your website says you're working with a few thousand of those to date. So given the amount of money that you all have raised, I assume a large part of your job is thinking about how do you continue to innovate to drive that growth in the future? So how do you think about making sure that Squire continues to stand out going forward? And more importantly, that you're helping to acquire many, many more of these hundreds of thousand, uh, hundred thousand barbershops. Absolutely. Good question. I wrestle with it every day. Well, I think the number one thing is we stay on brand. We are a barbershop platform. Can nail salons use us? Yes. Can salons use us? Absolutely. There is even, uh, I, I learned uh, a few months ago that there was a, a mechanic shop using us for payments, which made no sense to me, but they found the use case for our platform and, and who am I to complain, right? I saw a bunch of $3,000 transactions with a, a service name called Modify Me, and that's why it took me so long to actually catch it because Modify Me can sound like a total makeover for someone. People pay crazy money in the beauty industry. But no, it's, it's actually a car repair shop and they are using our platform. But we are a barbershop-only platform. From the community that we're building to the branding to what we actually put on our roadmap is really designed to address the problems of that industry. Now, when you talk to some VCs, the question is always, well, why just barbershops? You could, you know, 10x your, your, your TAM if you start looking elsewhere. And that is a true statement. It is, in fact, true. And many of our competitors are doing exactly that. But when you dive in, when you roll up your sleeves and you learn who your customers are, you realize that there are small differences in the way a barbershop runs versus a salon versus a you know nail salon or a yoga studio. And those small differences make a, a huge difference in actually winning business over your competitors. It could be something as little as making someone's life easier by saving them 30 minutes a week and be a piece of, of a software that is not necessarily core to booking appointments or accepting payments. And that right there alone could win you the business. And so I think the number one focus is staying focused, staying true to who we are, to our nature, to how we got here and building solutions for barbershops. I think the next thing is figuring out, okay, well, barbershops, a hundred thousand of them in the United States. I think the number is actually lower, but it's not much lower who are these businesses? What do they look like? What do they need? And um, the barbershops are all, all, all made the same and understanding who your ideal customer is and making sure that you execute on the core and the ancillary features that your, your core customer, your, your ideal customer actually is looking for is how you stay ahead of the competition. I think for us, it actually makes it much easier to do so because we don't have to justify it. This is who we are. And so as I'm thinking about the next set of product features, we are thinking about fintech solutions more and more, despite the fact that we already have uh, some that we provide. Payroll, I think, is, is one that is very exciting and sort of started our conversation together. 
and something that we take very seriously because ultimately I think the way barbers have been getting paid is not ideal. Hmm. It's not fair even. And there is a lot that we could do with technology, with, with a partner like Gusto to help that, to change that, to make it feel to a barber who knows exactly how much he should get paid for a shave that he did for Aram because he knows what Aram tipped him, that that barber doesn't have to wait two weeks to get that money, that that barber could get that money today for both the haircut and the tip, right? And with all of the withholdings properly calculated, not only does this save time to the barbershop itself, that in the barbershop today has to run payroll, right? And typically hires uh, someone to do it, but it's an amazing value add to the barber. And I do want to discuss that piece because I did say that we are a marketplace. You know, you have the customers, you have the barbershops. What makes what we do a little bit more challenging is that actually there is a triangular relationship. There are barbers who work at a barbershop and barbers and barbershop serve customers. But barbers and barbershops are not 100% aligned as far as what it is that they find important. And so one thing that makes us stand out, but I think also it is difficult, is building a product that is equally good and helpful to the barbershop owner as it is to the barber. And I think in that, we're also pretty unique. Some of our competitors concentrate on the business side of things, so the barbershop owner. Others concentrate on the barber and sort of what would an individual barber want or need. We concentrate on both. Hmm. We address both. And I think when it comes to payments, there are a lot of interesting use cases that we hope to explore in the near midterm future around that and making sure that the platform really serves both the barber and the barbershop from a financial standpoint in a significant way. I love it, Aram. I feel like if there's a theme today, whether it was the product market fit piece or how do you drive growth and new customer acquisition, it's really all about just knowing your customer really, really well and staying focused on that because it sounds like there is nuance barbershop to barbershop, barbershops to nail salons, hair salons, so on and so forth. And you really have to understand that before you start talking about the grand VC plans of how do you 10x your your acquire your uh, available market by just jumping into a new customer segment. Absolutely. Well, Aram, that's a great place to end. And I feel like it takes us back both to your, you know, your lawyer roots, but especially to to the product hat with that customer focus. So thank you for for joining us today. Maybe a last one. Aram, where can people find you on social media if they want to connect or go deeper on some of these topics? LinkedIn. You know, I'm, I'm probably one of the few around Meridians. Well, maybe not. Maybe there are many more now on LinkedIn, but for a long time, I was the only one. So LinkedIn is probably the easiest and fastest way to get in touch with me. I check it quite regularly. You'll see the long hair haircut and that's me. So fantastic. Well, we'll wrap up this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators with this. We'll link to any resources we mentioned in today's show notes. And again, thank you for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode and please like or leave a comment on the show. Thank you, Brian. Fantastic. And Aram, one last question for you. This might be outtakes. I just moved to a new area. How do you find a good barber when you move to a new place? Oh, interesting. So download Squire. Just type in Squire in the App Store. 
and it will give you um, all the barbershops sorted by distance, I should say, and um, book away. But if you want a, a insider's recommendation, you could always just tell me where you moved to and I'll find one for you. Thank you for listening to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com.